Oh, 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 well, 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 welcome to another edition of the Insert SEO Podcast, where we paint the town red with search marketing insights. Big time guest this week, as we welcome Stoney DeGuider, who shares his wisdom on the right language for the right UX, creating language to deal with Google's multiple intent targeting, the right language for the right UX for both traditional and voice search, and the role of UX in Google's algorithm. Plus, we break down the mobile SERP's new design, our organic result favicons, really a win for sites. I am your host, Morty Oberstein. I am joined by she who brings joy and happiness to all, Sapir Carabello. Hi, Morty. So what's new? Nothing new. Really? Same old, same old, yeah. Have you seen Avengers yet? I didn't, so (laughs) don't you dare spoil it, okay? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like stick a note. And like, when you're not looking like on your desk, like in your bag, saying like what happened, you can uh, okay. First off, if you haven't seen Avengers yet, do not watch. Why? No, no, don't. Let what? me finish my okay. sentence. Oh, Gosh, God. like I'm at home. Um, do not watch these new Spider-Man trailer. Why? Because there's spoilers in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just giving you some advice, helpful advice from Morty. Thank you. Because you're the only person left on the planet who hasn't seen Avengers yet. Any- Don't rub it in. <laughs> anyway, do not forget, we put out a new episode of the InSearch SEO Podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on the Rain Ranger blog. You can find it on Stitcher and Spotify, on SoundCloud. And, of course, you may subscribe on iTunes. Okay. Oh, quick note from our sponsor, Rain Ranger. Um, did you know that Rain Ranger tracks rankings within the Hotel Local Pack? You can certainly do that with Rain Ranger, and that matters because the Hotel Local Pack is formatted differently than your traditional three-pack. All right, we have a great show for you. I sat down with Tony DeGuider to talk all about the right language for your UX. But before we get to that, we must talk about the mobile SERP's new design because it's what's hot in SEO. Red Hots, get your Red Hots here. Okay, so I know we spoke about it last week very, very briefly, but I need to touch on this with way more depth and analysis, okay? So let's get everyone up to date just in case you've been living under a rock, and you haven't seen the new mobile SERP. The new mobile SERP now contains favicons in the new organic results, black and not green URLs, and a colorless ad label. Right. So, by the way, do you like it or hate it? Oh, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. Why? Well, first of all, um, it saves a lot of time looking up stuff since you can look up reliable sites that you're already familiar with without too much trouble, you know? And even for the less known sites, it could help by increasing brand recognition. So all in all, I think it's a great new addition. Great. You know, I was on the fence for a while (laughs) and now I am so not on the fence. Okay, let's... I'm not talking about the ad label because that's quite evidently problematic to the organic folk, though I'm sure the search engine marketing folk, the SEM folk, are um, perhaps feeling like they've won the lottery and are peeing their collective pants, okay? But, okay, okay. By the way, did you notice the new ad label in the local pack? Uh, Barry Schwartz had it on the SE Roundtable. Okay, so though the sponsored listing now gets a green pin, which is great, the the ad label, the you know, bolded black ad label, seriously blends into the local pack. And I'm not sure people are even going to notice that the the new green ad um um you know pin in the in the map is even there. Like what are people going to say? Oh, hey, look over here. There's a green map pin in the map. I wonder where that goes to because there's no green inside the local pack on mobile anymore. It must be a sponsored listing. I'm pretty sure no one's going to know what that is. But hey, the green pin is there, so hurrah for that. Anyway, I don't want to get stuck on the ad label because let's get stuck on favicons. So I want to ask, like, tell me the honest truth, and you hit on this, and there's a good point that you made or an interesting point that you made that I'm going to, I'm going to harp on. I'm going to pick on. Not in a bad way. I'm going to like focus on it. Not like pick on it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> okay, so I want you to be honest. Okay, when you see a favicon, either on the mobile SERP or even in a tab within the browser, does it matter to you? Okay, do you, does it make you remember the brand any more than you did before? Of course it does. Oh, of course. Like, it's such a dumb question. Okay, <laughs> explain. I mean, even if it's a brand I'm not familiar with, uh, if I click on the link and I like what I'm seeing, most chances are that I'll remember the site and the, and the brand better and will likely revisit the website if I encounter that same favicon again. So I think it can definitely help smaller brands gain uh, brand recognition. Right. Okay, so I know, okay, we spoke about this. You're big on the new favicons and I am not yeah, so big I on the love it. Yeah, you love it. I know. Okay, so okay, let me tell you what I think. Okay, I think big brands, the big brands that Google loves anyway, they win here big time, okay? Which is, by the way, prime material for another Google conspiracy, which I'm not getting into. Why? Well, because, okay, um, <clears throat> I was very much interested in a bird that was outside of my window. But I know this has nothing to do with anything, but it does. Okay, it was chirping, it was singing, it was happy, it was it was wonderful until it pooed in my outdoor couch. Okay? And it made me think, you know what, I want to check out the new mobile syrup. So let me do a search around bird feeders or birds on couches. But I forgot what I was looking for. It has something to do with birds, that's all I remember. Okay, and I, and I did a search. And I saw all these results, the new favicons, and the first result was a favicon, so I did not know at all. And I didn't recognize it, and it wasn't the greatest image or the greatest icon. And it was the first result, so I was going to click it anyway, because it's the first result, and that's what you're supposed to do. But I didn't, because I saw Mashable, and I saw Time Magazine's favicon there. I was like, hey, hey, I know this, okay? It was like Michael K. calling another Yankees home run. See ya. Who? I'm gone. Who? Okay, so this one is not so bad that you don't know this, like uh, not knowing Terminator or, or Happy Days, okay? <laughs> I don't actually expect anyone to know this. Michael K. is the announcer, the TV announcer for the New York Yankees, which is a baseball team in America from New York. And when he hit a home run, when the Yankees hit a home run, which when you hit the ball out of the stadium, okay. out of the ballpark, okay. we're not really out of the stadium, it's out of the fence. It doesn't matter. Out of the stadium, okay, for all of you who are not familiar with baseball. He goes, see ya. That's his call sign for the home run because you can't see the, the ball's gone. See ya. That's right. So okay. oh. <laughs> <laughs> once I saw Time Magazine's favicon or Mashable's favicon there, I was like, see ya. I'm not going to that first result anymore because I found an icon that I'm more familiar with. So really great for big brands, really sucks for smaller brands. Anywho, okay. Favicons, big one for big brands, downright suck for smaller brands. Now let's talk shiny things. Do you like shiny things? Come on, Morty. What girl doesn't like shiny things? Oh, we all like shiny. You don't have to be a girl like shiny things. We all like shiny things. Come on. I like shiny things. You like shiny things. Everybody likes shiny things, okay? And this is where I think Google does a disservice to itself. Okay, follow me here. So you're smart SEO. You get your graphics team together and say, hey, you know, they redesigned the, the mobile SERP and they have no favicons there. Great. Let us come up with the shiniest, the glossiest, the most gleaming icon you can ever imagine. And the user will see this shining symbol of our brand than the search results. And they're going to see them among some really wonderful search results. And the user is not going to click on them because the user is going to see the shiny shininess of our new favicon. And they can't help it. They'll know it's not good for them to click on our site. They'll know the other sites are way better. But no one will be able to help themselves because of our shiny shininess, wonderful, gleaming favicon. Okay? So in other words, a, what I'm trying to say is that a user might see some really good sites and then click on your direct because you have a really shiny favicon. Okay, and that doesn't do anyone any good really because what's going to happen? If the content is really not as good as the other sites and the user clicks on it, they're going to bounce. And they're going to bounce and it's not good for your site. And it's not good for Google either because gonna, the users are going to say, why did Google offer me that? That was pretty crappy. Okay, wonderful, really shiny favicon, but the content wasn't good. And of course, I'm being, you know, 
a little it's hyperbolic about it. Okay, obviously it's not going to happen to such a you know, wide extent like the third or fourth result is going to be so crappy. But assuming that Google's first result or the second result is better than the fifth, sixth, or seventh result, which is why they're ranked that way, if I'm going to skip the first result and go to the eighth result because that's got a shinier favicon, that's not good. You don't want the user. To, you want the user to go to the most relevant result, not the the shiniest favicon. I'm trying to say. And okay, that's not the biggest deal in my opinion, but it's something we should think about, mull over, and possibly chew on. Because the biggest deal is, in my opinion, what we gained in icons, we lost in name. That's very poetic. I know. I used to oh. write poetry. Why are you talking about? What, what are we talking about? Poetry for? I like poetry. It's like William <laughs> Blake. The doors of perception. Okay. Let me explain this. Okay. The mobile SERPs URLs are not only black as opposed to green, like they used to be, but they're smaller. Okay. If you actually look at the size, the font size, the new URLs are, are tiny. Okay. Oh, big whoop. Oh, but a big whoop it is because you see the name of the site is in the URL. So if it's smaller, you can't see that name as, as readily as you used to in the past. Okay, go, go ahead. I know you want to ask this, and I know we see this again a bit differently. Who cares? That's you have right. the favicon. You've been on my rear end all week long about this. I was. I was. You know, I was. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I can handle it. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's right. Let's just agree to disagree. That's why I don't cook. Okay. Uh, mainly because I burn things. By the way, by the way okay, so we have like a split at home and insight into Morty's life. I <laughs> clean. Like <laughs> that, that. Just about cleaning, <laughs> man. Okay. <laughs> I do the cleaning. My wife does the cooking, which is good because I'm a better cleaner than she is. And I am like the worst. I burn everything. I, first, I like burnt food, which is, I know it sounds weird. That's disgusting. I have, I have like dull taste buds. So I like spicy things, burnt things, whatever. So that's insight into more. It's how we split the household chores up. Child rearing is totally my wife's thing. This is not true. It's not true at all, but I wish it were sometimes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so who cares about the favicon, right? No, scratch the verse. You care about the favicon. Who cares about the name in the URL? That's your question. Who cares about a name in a URL? The URL is smaller when you have the favicon. So big deal. The name is smaller. Okay, we're on the same page. I got it right. I care. Okay, I care a lot. You want to know why? Okay, so first off, how big is the favicon? Okay, it's tiny. It's smaller than, I can't say it, whatever. <laughs> Fill in the blank, okay? And there's some interesting data on, on icons like the favicon. For example, a study came out of the Journal of Brand Management that says a logo that has both the icon and the brand name is far more impactful than having either the brand name or an icon in isolation. And a favicon is that. It's the, it's the icon and isolation of the brand name. Right. So just know it's not when you think, hey, big win. This is impactful to have my brand logo there. It is not. It is not if you have your name and your brand logo. Okay. Also, for those of you shouting, yay, favicons. Woo-hoo. Was that like an imitation of me? No, that was generic. But if you think it was you, so then <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> behave, behave. Okay. In fact, uh, Vengage and Survey Monkey teamed up and they had a look at how folk feel about different logos and icons and colors and whatnot. Okay, what they did was they gave people six different logo styles icons without text, just logos with, um, I'm sorry, just, just text logos. There we go. Um, logos that were outlines, logos that were filled in, and all sorts of variations, et cetera. Okay, and what they found was, okay, they, let me explain. They asked users how they felt about each one of those logo variations and they broke it down by, by niche, right? They had educational sites, finance sites, retail sites, and so forth. Okay. The style of logo that was just an icon or dominated by an icon, i.e. where you had very, very small text of the brand name, was the least trusted form of icon. Did you know that? 
I didn't. You didn't know that because I didn't know that either until I researched it. Okay. In almost all niches, to the exclusion of educational sites, because that makes sense, because once you have a, all the educational sites had books. They're all like, you know, like um, symbols of books. Mm-hmm. So whatever. That make, I, I understand that. That makes sense to me. But for all the other niches, the least trusted form of, of logo or icon was just an icon without any text there, which aligns with the other study from the brand management journal, whatever it was I just quoted. Okay. So there's your favorite con right there. It, it is. Not as impactful as having a name and the icon together, and it is the least trusted form of logo out there. So, hooray for favicons. Okay, think about it, okay? Let's say you don't know the site's logo. How does just seeing it on the SERP help you? Whereas if I read the name, I now know the brand. Let's say you said before, if I, if I go ahead and click, let's say you don't go ahead and click. I don't know what the heck this is now, okay? With the bigger and the greener URL, by the way, oh, let me preface this. There's another reason why you think the new construct, the new design of the mobile SERP does a disservice to brand name, and that is breadcrumbs. Okay? It used to be, right? The URL shows up in two places. I'm sorry, the brand name shows up in two places. In the URL itself, which is now smaller, right? And if breadcrumbs appear for your site, it showed up in breadcrumbs, and mobile breadcrumbs are very beyond, beyond prevalent, okay? Now, the way it used to look with the bigger and greener URL when you had the breadcrumbs was the first breadcrumb was the site's name. So it was, let's say the, um, the site is The Verge, okay? It was, it said The Verge, right? Then you had the, the next series in the breadcrumb, I don't know, like news, and then you had the next one after that, um, you know, um, contact us, whatever it is, okay? Now that's no longer the case because the way that Google shows breadcrumbs in the new mobile design is what? The first breadcrumb is the URL. They got rid of the brand name. In other words, they hit, it's there, but it's within the URL itself. In other words, whereas it used to be just the brand name was the first um, crumb in the breadcrumb series. Now the URL is, and Google will say, "Well, the name is there." Yeah, the name is there. Sure, one, it's 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 there, wonderful. But it's within the URL itself. So first you see www.theverge.whatever. It doesn't stand out. In fact, if you go to my Twitter account and you go through the tweets of my last week or so, I showed you an example of what it looked like for for the Verge. I actually showed you for the Verge what it looked like pre the mobile SERP redesign, and what it looks like now. And then the name, is just, you, there's no name recognition on the SERP anymore. And that's, to me, a very big problem because to me, I'm way more interested in, and I think it's way more impactful to have your name shown on the SERP than some favicon that n- people are going to either gloss over or not know what it is, or if they already know what it is, then whatever. And yeah, in some cases, it'll build up. Once you click, you're right. Once you click on it and you head back and you see it again, great, it builds up brand recognition. But I don't think that's nearly as impactful, nearly as common as just seeing the name on the SERP. So with that, let's do our Rank Ranger community question or SEO community question of the week now. We usually after the interview, but I love this, you know, this subject so much, we're just going to do it now. Go ahead, here. Tell them what they want this week. Okay, so what does the mobile SERP's redesign mean for your SEO strategy? Okay, right. So what new actions are you now taking, if any, because of the redesign other than making other than making a shiny new icon, another new favicon? Let's not let's not go that route. Let's go a little bit deeper. Yes, you have to make a new favicon now because there are favicons in the SERP. Yeah, obviously. Okay. By the way, let's take a look back at last week's SEO community question where we asked you how do you handle a Google update? Bob Gilmore on LinkedIn said, if you're doing, I'm summarizing, and quote word for word was a long, nice piece that he wrote. He basically said that if you're doing the right things, you should rejoice because Google's going to reward you. And if you're doing the wrong things and you're manipulating rankings, you should have a backup uh, plan B, plan C, plan D, or whatever it is. Great. So if you're doing black hat SEO, 
you want to have a plan B, plan C, and plan D, and that's probably true if you are doing that, and there are probably good reasons why you should be doing it or not should be doing that. I'm not getting into the morality of Black at SEO. We're going to do that in a future interview with Craig Campbell. But for now, if you are doing that and you get hit, you should probably have a backup plan. Fine. Good advice from, from Bob Gilmore. The other thing I will say is that you could be doing all of the right things. You could be doing, first of all, you could be doing all the wrong things and not get hit. And you could be doing all of the right things and get hit. Because if, if in Google, for example, within the, the keyword set that you're targeting, Google understands intent differently now, your page may no longer be relevant. And you could be doing all the right things. Just the way the user sees the topic has changed, and that's it. So it's not necessarily the case. If you do all the right things, you're going to uh, be rewarded. It's like life. You could be a good person and get smacked in the face. Right. Right. You could be a terrible jerk and you can have the greatest life possible like me. No. <laughs> okay. From icons to words, let's get right into the language of your UX, the right language at the right time for the right sites for the right UX with Stony DeGuider. Cut one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another In Search SEO podcast interview session. I say this often, but as accurate as ever, you're in for a treat as we have the author of the best damn web marketing checklist, period. He is, and I'm quoting his knowledge panel to you, an author, speaker, teacher, husband, father, and web marketer. He's also the vice president of search and advertising at Karcher Group. He is Stoney DeGuider. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. By the way, we have a we have a uh, commonality. We both finished high school at the age of sixteen, although I think my reasoning was probably different than yours. <laughs> well, what's your reasoning? Uh, I was sick of institutional education. Wow. Well, that's as good as reason as any. I uh, yeah, I graduated. Um, it was about a month before I turned seventeen, but I actually skipped eighth grade. Wow, so that is pretty neat. Excuse. Yeah, I, I had a feeling well, yours had to do with your genius, and mine had to do with my rebelliousness. <laughs> I don't know about genius, but uh, it, it made high school a little bit difficult. I mean, eighth grade is kind of uh, one of those transitional years, and uh, I was a little young in high school, but I managed. Got you. Well, before we get started, would you mind telling us a little bit, a little bit about um, what you do over at Karcher? Yeah. Uh, well, I head up the search and advertising department, which basically means my job is to build a search and advertising team. Uh, that focuses in on SEO and PPC uh, marketing tactics and strategies, things like that. Awesome. So we're going to get into the wide world of, of UX. And before we do that, can you just sort of get us all caught up, get us all on the same page by explaining why language is such an important part of your site's UX? I, I mean, language is how we communicate. And, you know, we can talk in keywords, which we do in a sense. Um, SEO been around for, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years. And we got used to this idea of keywords just being things we type into search. But really, that's how we talk. It's how we reference things. It's how we relate to them. It's just simply the words we use to describe whatever it is that we want. And language, it plays a huge role in that, obviously, because we, with, without being able to use keywords or, you know, be able to talk coherently about what we want, we're not going to be able to get what we want. We're not going to be able to talk about it. We're not going to be able to give our visitors the information that they're seeking for. So all of this comes into play is really, truly understanding the language that people use and not just the words, but the meaning behind the words. So it's not just about what they want. 
It's about really massaging that and figuring out what it is that they need to get behind the whatever phrases or terminology they're looking for. Got it. So I want to get more into that massaging um, in a bit, but I feel like I have to start off with a, with an SEO hot topic. So it's going to be feature snippets. And there, being that there's so much emphasis on feature snippets and, and things like feature snippets, how do you work it out in those cases? Because Google has their own sort of language ideals or language preferences when looking to place content into those SERP features. How do those, and, and those language preferences may stand in sharp contradistinction to what you just described in terms of what you want your users to walk away feeling when they come to your site. Well, I mean, getting into the feature snippets, and it comes down to a lot of it has to be how, how the information is presented on the page. Um, so Google can pull that information out and put it into those snippets, depending on wherever, you know, whatever it is, the searches and things like that. But in, in actuality, if we look at, hey, we want to optimize for those featured snippets, uh, how do we put this information together on the page? You're really just presenting it on the page in a format that's good for visitors as well. So it goes right back to the usability. And the more we see of these changes that Google makes, the less it's about SEO and the more it's really about giving visitors what they want, how they want it, not just in terms of what the information is, but also in terms of how it's more digestible to them and better ways for them to consume it. So, you know, and I've been saying for years, you know, Google is just about rewarding people for doing marketing correctly. And we see that now with those people feature snippets and if you present the information in a way that makes sense that's readable that's digestible google is now going hey we're going to pull that information and we're going to show it in our search results as well so you think that there is an inherent connection between what works well for a user in terms of language on the site and what google wants out of its search features yeah absolutely i mean i think those things are highly intertwined um and it's getting more and more that way that is the direction google's been going you know, for 20 years, SEOs have been kind of chasing an algorithm versus we're going to chase what the visitor wants. And Google just in the last five, six, seven years has gotten to that point where they're more in tune with the visitor than ever. And those of us who were going, getting ahead of Google, not going, we're going to try and figure out what Google's doing now, but got ahead and said, we're going to look and see what, where Google's going with this. Those SEOs are succeeding mightily uh, just because they were way ahead of that and going, we don't care about the algorithm now. We care about the algorithm tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and so on. Yeah, it's nice to see that finally start start to happen more and more. Speaking to, to exactly what you're talking about, one of these things that Google's been able to make great leaps and strides in is being able to parse user intent from multiple perspectives. Does that present any issue when considering language for the user on your on your site meaning how do, how do you how do you suppose you you create a, a a a piece of content on your page that's both not repetitive not redundant but it's able to target multiple intents at one time the way that Google sort of wants you to well i mean if you're focused on the user intent it's just really about creating the content that fulfills that intent Yes, we still kind of look at the keywords, you know, and I look at a number of different things is what's the core keyword. Um, and then what are the, the ancillary or related words, or some might say LSI, LSI keywords 
that kind of fill out this topic. And that's what I use keyword research for. It's not only to understand the exact phrasing that people are searching for, um, and not that I'm ever trying to get the exact phrasing into the page, but it's to understand the concepts, the words, the meanings behind that, and then use additional keywords to say, hey, what else do I need to discuss in this, this article or this piece of content to make sure that it really gives people what they want. And that's where those related phrases come into play. Because, you know, if you're talking about, if you're talking about dog food, but you never mentioned health, nutrition, or anything like that of your pet, you're, you're missing out. And Google's going to look at those topics that do mention those things as being more relevant for people just searching for dog food. So it is interesting. I just, I just did a whole piece about this, how keyword research has really changed or really has changed for a while now. But now I think it's a point where people are willing to accept the change that it's about understanding content topically as opposed to just finding you know um, high search volume phrases in particular. With that, though. Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. You go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. It's your floor. I, I was I, – well, what, what I was going to mention is that you know, years ago, people were saying, hey, you've got one keyword, you can optimize that keyword on a page. And then you get another keyword and optimize that on a page. And long before people ever started switching and started talking about top, sorry, talking about topics, that's something that I had been pushing for and, and stressing and doing, using for my own set of keyword research going, you know what, it's not one phrase or it's not even five phrases. It's taking sometimes 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 phrases that are all extremely tied together in relevancy. And maybe they're just different word orders, they're different tenses, um, or even different words, but with similar meaning, because you can wrap those all together and create a page that focuses on all of it without being repetitive or redundant or throwing, you know, trying to get too many words in there, because it's just part of the natural language. So when you're doing the keyword research, you're just looking for what are all these similarities and going, how can we take this topic and even break it up into small chunks, but each of those chunks can target handfuls of keywords, but all of them still be very tightly focused in content. Yeah, you were a little bit prophetic with this. I actually saw you do um, uh, a speech back in, I think it was 2017, talking about this very topic, which two years before everyone's been you know, on the, on the bandwagon of doing this. Yeah, and, I, and I've been doing that long, long before even Hummingbird came out, where that, that was the, the big change that right. the SEO industry caught on to because Google changed their algorithm. And that was just that place where it's like, okay, Google has finally caught up to some of these things that I had been doing and preaching for years. And not just me, but many others as well. But the, the industry as a whole was still very much focused on one keyword per page, and they suffered for it. Versus those of us who were looking at it topically long before that, uh, you know, they saw the benefits of the, those changes. So, so let me ask you on this, because I think, and we, think we both agree about this, keyword research should be a topical analysis. At what point do you, from a UX perspective, say, that, okay, this page is too topically broad, there's too many, or, there's too, or it's too topically refined in a sense, that there's too many topics being proficiently addressed on it that doesn't make any sense from for the user's perspective, from a UX perspective? How do you sort of balance that? At what point do you say, from a UX perspective, new page, this is too much? Um, I think a lot of it has to do, 
it's impossible to give a direct answer to that because it's a case by case thing. Right. Um, you have to look at what you're writing about and things like that. But I'll, I'll give you a good example. Let's say you are writing about jewelry. Now there is hundreds of directions you can go with jewelry and your keyword research will, will prove that out. And you go, look, I, I, you're not going to write one single authoritative page covering every aspect of jewelry. Um, but somewhere in that keyword research, you can start to see patterns where you see, you know, words like <clears throat> cheap, discount, sale, uh, you know, things like that. And you go, hey, you know what? We can create a page on our site that addresses these issues. Um, or maybe, you know, it's for our page that when our, our, our jewelry goes on sale, these are the keywords we're going to focus on. But then on the other hand, you'll see another set of keywords that are kind of like vintage vintage that's what i was looking for um vintage or um classic or uh um, what's the word antique things like that which you go you know what those can all be grouped together and that would be on another page you'd be foolish to try and optimize both of those on the same page um they're two different groups two different meanings people don't want the same thing so you take those out and you separate and go i can create a page here i can create a page here um, and get those. And, and then, of course, you just keep doing that. And, and a lot of that, that's where that keyword research really, it can take hours and hours of time just to go through and say, which keywords do we put together? Which keywords do we separate out? And then you use your keyword research a lot of times to say, to tell you, okay, these are the different groups you're going to be. And, and you let that kind of mold itself just by looking at the intent behind the words and then you come up with your different topics. If, you, if you're shoving too many things together with different intents, that's your answer. That's when you know you're covering too much. Let the keyword research be your guide, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me sort of change. It, it, I'm sorry. Now, again, your floor. I, yeah, I was just saying, and the intent. The intent behind you know, the keywords, the research, that more so than the keyword research itself, but it's the intent of the keywords. That should be the guide in the topics. Yeah, ab abstracting out, you mean. Say that again? Being able to abstract out the commonalities, the themes, how they all topically relate to mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah big absolutely. time. Um, so let me, let me change gears slightly. So language fascinates me from... I used to be an English teacher, so it's from a multiple perspective. I'm just fascinated by, by language, particularly English, but it doesn't really matter. One of the things that, that piques my curiosity is how to deal with different cultural uses of, of language. Let's say you're a local, a local site, and in your you know, local vicinity, your uh, in that area you're servicing, there are multiple cultural demographics. How do you deal with multiple demographics like that or the multiple cultural uses of language on one page at the same time? Sometimes you can't. Uh, sometimes you want to create unique pages uh, targeting those different demographics, those different cultures, things like that. In fact, I'm, I'm working on a blog post now that kind of addresses that very thing. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm working on a presentation uh, for SMX about that, where you can take top, the content that you've written and rewrite it for different demographics or different industries or different levels of job, um, you know, management versus, you know, the lower end. And, and you can just re refab all of that and create new unique content that's valuable to a very particular audience. Even though you're targeting essentially the same thing, you're doing it in a different way, providing something of value for each, each different way that you represent 
or present that at those levels. Okay, so so similarly, let me ask. Let me let me apply this over to, to voice search because one of my one of my soapbox points is that the idea of just optimizing for long tail keywords and that being a way to sort of align yourself to voice, which makes no sense to me because voice oral language is completely different than written language. It's one of the things I noticed when I was teaching is that how my students spoke versus how my students wrote were two totally separate things. You wouldn't even know the same person was speaking versus the same person writing. It's just totally different identities. How are you supposed to, from a language perspective, create content for a page or deal with uh, creating a, a solid UX that both considers creating written language that makes sense or that's, uh, that's attractive and both catering to being voice search optimized, being the case that imagine if you actually wrote what you would speak, it would sound ridiculous. So if you're trying to optimize, well, for, how is it? How is it possible to both? Right. Well, what I think you know, a lot of times people say write how you speak, and yes, we try to do that to be natural, but at the same time, you know, to your point, is, is we speak very, very differently than we would ever write especially in business where we speak very fluently, slangy, um, things like that. And in business, you generally don't do that um, at all. So there's, a, there's only so far you can go with speak how you write. Now, on the other side of that is, okay, voice search, that really comes down to being Google's problem. It's not, I don't think, the job to optimize specifically for voice search in terms of phrasing and if you're writing for topics, if you're writing for intent, that intent is going to capture how people search by voice versus how they search by keyboard versus how they search by phone texting or whatever. It should capture all of that because Google doesn't care about any of those things specifically. It cares about the intent. So if you're optimizing for intent, you're going to get that no matter what. So I have to tell you that I love you because I think you're the only person I've ever heard say it's Google's problem. And, and it is. Google has to figure out a way to, to sort of build the bridge that covers the gap between the different language formats. I think they have been trying to work on this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and they're getting a lot better at that too um, because, you know, they have to. Voice search is becoming more and more popular. More people do that, but it's Google's job to build that bridge, as you just said, and make sure that it's providing the most relevant results based on what people are saying they want. And Google, again, is looking at the intent, purely at the intent. It doesn't matter the language used. It doesn't matter the slang used. It doesn't matter even, you know, word order or anything like that. And we've been slowly migrating towards this over years. None of that really matters because Google's saying, what's the intent of that? I'm going to deliver it. And whether you have it word for word on the page or you have it, you know, optimize for voice over this, I don't think any of that's going to matter. Maybe it does right now. I don't think it's going to matter in, in two, three years. I very much agree with that. Okay, let me just switch directions one last time and talk about Google's um, holistic abilities to analyze a page, which I think have greatly improved in ways that I don't think we, as an industry, have really picked up on fully yet. Um, in that, or to that, do you think that UX is the direct signal that Google, that Google um, looks at? That is, meaning, not in terms of things like bounce rate and, and the indirect reflections of, of proper UX versus poor UX. But I mean, does Google have a way to actually interpret the quality of what a site's, what a good um, UX for a site is? And I mean, for different demographics, like for, uh, for an e-commerce site versus an informational site and so forth. Uh, I would say yes and no on that. I think it's, 
I, I'm really torn between you know the two sides that say yes, Google looks at this data, and Google says no, we don't look at that data or you know anything in particular because they don't have access to it. You know, it, it, unless they're following Chrome and, and user behavior through that, but I don't know. And they've said that they don't have enough of a sampling to really truly be able to do that. So if we take Google at their word, then we go, no, they're not using that data, but they are looking at it as it interacts with search results. So people bouncing back to the search results, they can they can track that because somebody used Google, they went to the website, and that's what Google's doing. They're they're going to use that to determine, well, where does this rank? You know, are people coming back to us because they didn't find what they're looking for? Now at the same time, I think they do have to I, I don't know the word, uh, missing it, um, but they have to analyze that in response to what kind of page it is, what kind of site it is. So it's not just going to be, well, if they bounce off that page, that's bad, because that page may be they got the phone number they needed, and then they went back to the search results and got another phone number they needed or whatever. So I think Google has to look at the different industries, different pages, different types of content, and weigh all of that accordingly. So it's never one size fits all. And I think that's the one thing we have to understand about the algorithms now more than ever. They are not one size fits all. What works for one site, one industry, or even one page, not necessarily what's going to work for anything else. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more at the page level than, than even the niche level. To that, do you think that so – let's take an e-commerce page, for example. Do you think that Google has the ability to understand what sort of language, what sort of UX is good or proper for an e-commerce page versus what's not Intr- intrinsically? Almost like as if a, a set of standards. Yeah, I think so. And I think if they do have a lot – well, they do. I mean they have the tools that will tell you if your site's mobile-friendly or not. And that's looking at things like you know clickability of links and things like that. So yes, in that sense, I think they are looking at a lot of those usability issues. They may not be actual user metrics, but those usability issues are things that they have told the algorithm that are based on user metrics that they have probably been able to analyze about uh, on other websites that have Google Analytics installed and whatnot. So it may not be a direct, oh, you do this, versus that, but then they kind of work these into the algorithm based on what they know. Yeah, it's all really, it's really, it's really fascinating stuff. Okay, so let's let's pull back and you know move on to the other side of this interview. I have this bit I call optimize it or, or disavow it. Um, it's basically a little little stick where I offer you either two really good options and you have to discard a really good option, or I offer you two pretty terrible options and you're stuck choosing one terrible option over the other terrible option. So this is going to be the Stony Guider version of Optimize It or Disavow It. So my question for you is, if you could do just one, if you could focus on UX from a language perspective or you could leave that aside completely and just focus on UI uh, from a design perspective, which would you do? Which is more important for a site? Yeah. So the options are user experience versus user interface? Basically, yeah. It's basically creating um, language as a way you describe mas- massaging in that message that you want the user to walk away with that sort of uh, pulls them in and sort of makes them feel at home on your site versus creating a design that does the same thing. Uh, I would go with content. Uh, I think because that's what persuades people, yes, the UI is going to affect whether they stay on your site or 
find the information they're looking for. But I think people will move past a lot of that for great content. So you're a man after my own heart. Always content first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stoney, thank you very much for coming on. I do really appreciate you taking the time. This is great and very insightful. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Welcome back to your regular Sales in Search SEO podcast. So much to think about with language. Don't think it's enough attention. And when, and when it does, it's usually very cliche, like, oh, voice search, long tail keywords, blah, 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 which we spoke about. Anyway, hearing Stoney lay it out there was great, but life is short. So let's not waste any time. Stop here. Are you ready? Yes. Great. Then please go ahead and do us all the wonderful service of hitting it with the news. <laughs> Okay, so Google says that all new sites that make their way to the web will be indexed by the mobile first index right from the start. And that makes good sense. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay, so yet another Google bug. This time to AdSense as a bug seems to have been preventing a large number of, of ads from displaying. And I have nothing to say here other than then what's next, or maybe Google should get an exterminator with all these bugs, right? Uh-huh, good joke, uh -huh. good joke, oh boy, okay. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Google Ads is now letting you target users who may not be in your target area, but do search uh, related to your target area. Right, so that makes a lot, okay, I'm a perfect example of this, okay? I no longer live in New York, but I do a tremendous amount of searching related to New York. My family's all still there. I'm still interested in New York sport. I do a lot of stuff related to New York. Okay, a lot of searches, even though I don't live there anymore, related to searching in New York. I would be a prime candidate to have target um, ads or be targeted by ads that relate to New York because there would be a lot of significant room for me to actually buy something or click on an ad. Not that I ever, ever click on an ad, by the way. Really? I never click on an ad. <laughs> I don't. I can't remember the last time I didn't click on an ad other than saying, oh, I'll click on the ad here so the organic result because I don't like that person, so let me get charged for the ad. Not that I would ever do that. That's a <laughs> terrible thing to do. Anyway, I'd be a good candidate. It makes a lot of good sense. Very good. Okay, let's move on. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Google Maps is now showing a carousel of a restaurant's most popular dishes. Ooh. The feature will be rolling out soon for iOS devices, but is available now on Android. Okay, so, I mean, this is... That's pretty cool. It, okay, is it really? Okay. Yes. Okay, you, really, you go to a restaurant, okay? And you say, oh, I wonder if the hamburger here is good. It's a burger joint. But I mean, okay, but what about places uh, who have I, more than one item on their menu? Uh, you know what? Are you really going to say, you know what? I'm not sure what to have here. Let me go to the local, but this shows button, there's a Google Maps button in the, in the local knowledge panel. Let me go to the local panel and see what do other people enjoy here? You really, you can't make up your freaking mind about what you want to eat at a restaurant or going to the local panel? It takes time to, you know, make up your mind. You need to, Okay, you know? so I'm a bad test case because I always order the same thing. Like I have my <sighs> thing. My God, Morty. I'm a creature of habit, believe it or not. Okay. I know what I want. I'm not messing with your your stupid menu. With Why not explore different options? Because I already know what's good. But but I already know what's good. Why am I going to try your crappy guacamole? It I might know, be I, good, too. It might be good, too. That's probably true. I like what I like, and that's it. I don't say I never order something, but I'm not going to go to the local pad and say, hmm, what's popular here? I wonder. Let me order that. It's going to look at the menu. Was it, let me rephrase this, okay? Is it really that complicated? It is. Oh, my God. No, it it's not. It is, okay? Right, we, we're, we're fine. You win. I, you, you're right. It's complicated. <laughs> Choosing food is complicated. Sending people to Mars is complicated, okay? 
Choosing I, food is equally as hard. Okay? No, it's not. It's yes, it food. is. Oh my goodness, people! People, wake up! Okay, you don't need reviews and everything. You can make. You can think for yourself whether or not the chili cheeseburger is good. Listen, if I'm about to pay money. I want to get all the information, you know, ahead. Well, good. And make the decision based on reliable information. I I politely disagree. Okay. Okay. By the way, it's good for <laughs> this feature is good for um I'm not sure what well, we've debated whether or not how good it is for users. It's definitely good for Google because it increases reliance on the local panel on the local serve features you have to think that every restaurant is going to want to have this show up because people are going to go to the restaurant and say okay what's good here what's not good here and compare it before they go that might be a good way to use it before you go right right okay not when you're actually there I get that maybe yeah yeah I mean I can look at the menu still before and decide on my own but anyway I'm sure restaurant owners would be very anxiety filled to exaggerate the issue a bit but making sure they show up there with this new carousel because it makes them look good and it makes it easier for people to peruse through their menu fine i Google guess sure no we have two well we have one more item on the news menu yeah. for today and but by the way when i decided to pick what goes on the news for this week i made sure to go to google first and look for a carousel of what's popular with google news because there's no way i could possibly make a discernible decision without having google tell me i'm being totally Sarcastic. Yeah, I yeah. figured. Okay, last one. Last one. Okay, so 3D images on the SERPs are here. Do a, do a search for your favorite animal on mobile, and you should see the new 3D image, which have AR functionality. Right. Then certain select markets, not every country has this yet, and it's just, it's so cool. Pretty it cool. is cool. It is. And it has no impact on SEO. No maybe. impact. No impact whatsoever. I mean, I everyone is talking about it because, hey, look, it's so cool, and it is really cool. I just don't think it has that big. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm, I am a party pooper. I'm a buzzkill. Yes, you yes. Are. I was so excited, but hey, look at me! There's a shark, and I put it in my office, and I don't really care. Okay. <laughs> anyway, great times, great insights, great show. Thank you for the news. You're welcome. But you know, it's not really complete until we do this. Until we do the fun SEO send-off question. Yay! Roll music. It was so exciting the way you put that. Yay. <laughs> You're about excited about that. About the, uh, the AR fish in my office now. Okay. Right. This week, I have a good one for you. So good, if you like corny humor, which I do appreciate. So you ready? Because here we go. Your fun SEO send-off question of the week is, what does Google's voicemail say? And because it's already your third episode, you, Sapir, you can take it away first and tell us, what does Google's voicemail say? Why do you make me do this? Because I know you don't like it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I'm sadistic. Wow, okay. I'm sadistic and masochistic. So, hey, it works for everybody. Okay, let me try and answer this. Um, maybe something like, hello, you've reached Google. We're not able to answer your call at the moment. We'll call you back when we feel like it. What are you going to do about it? Call Bing? Ooh. Pretty, pretty you good, took huh? it, You took right? it home right. there. That was good. Mm -hmm. That was sharp. I didn't get so aggressive with that one. <laughs> wow, that's pretty aggressive. You should try it sometime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My turn. <clears throat> Let me get my reading voice ready. So you call Google. They're not home. They don't answer your call. Mm -hmm. And you hear, you've been searching for Google. Unfortunately, you just hit a 404. 
Leave your number and we'll be sure to call you back. Have a blessed day. See, I didn't get aggressive with it. You didn't. I didn't make a corny I'm quite SEO joke. I know I should have. I feel upset at myself. I had a great in. That was a great one. I had a great in to go after the jugular there, but I didn't go after it. Okay, well, that will do it for us. And this is the 29th episode of the Insert SEO Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in again next Tuesday for an all-new episode. And don't forget, it's in search because we're all in search for something. Right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks. <laughs>